are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today. I'm excited to have Peter Schiff returning as a guest expert today. Many of you probably recognize Peter as a prolific commentator. Uh, He also has a radio program that he hosts at Schiff Radio, and I'm uh, very excited to get his perspective on things. Peter will join me today in segments two and three. And if you haven't yet gotten a copy of my new Retirement Roadmap book, I'd like to invite you to get one. The Retirement Roadmap book was released a couple months ago, became a number one Amazon bestseller in 11 categories. Thank you to those of you that supported the book. The subtitle of the book is How Many Aspiring Retirees Can Use the Revenue Sourcing Process to Achieve a Secure, Tax-Free Retirement in Today's Economy. I'd encourage you to get your copy of the book if you haven't yet done so by visiting RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. The website, again, is RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. All you have to do is let me know where to mail you a copy of that book, and I'd be very glad to do so, along with some bonus information that I think think you'll find to be timely. So, again, the website, RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. You know, you go to the grocery store, you go buy consumer items, and the fact that we have inflation uh, certainly is obvious. And of course, inflation is just a symptom of currency devaluation. And when massive amounts of currency are created, inflation, as I have been talking about here on the program for a couple years, is going to be the inevitable result. While the Federal Reserve Chairman insisted that inflation was transitory and still insists so, I would have to argue that that's not the case. And the Federal Reserve is now talking about taper. In other words, we need to raise interest rates. We need to slow the rate of currency creation because of inflation. However, I happen to believe that that taper talk is just that. I believe it's talk. I believe at best we will see only a symbolic taper rather than a meaningful one, which will do little, in my view, to subdue inflation. The Retirement Roadmap book does give you some strategies to consider to protect yourself, and again, that website is RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. Now, as fiat currencies around the world are devalued, currency changes are inevitable. Currencies are based on trust. You know, going back to 1971, at the beginning of 1971, the U.S. dollar was exchangeable or convertible to gold at a rate of $35 an ounce. Foreign investors that had 35 U.S. dollars could exchange them for one ounce of gold. It was easy to have trust in the U.S. dollar because it was exchangeable or convertible for something tangible. However, by the end of 1971, as we've discussed on the program here many times, then-President Richard Nixon had eliminated the link between the dollar and gold, citing the fact that he wanted to protect the dollar from international currency speculators. Well, we now know that a lot of what Mr. Nixon said turned out not to be true. And since that time, 50 years ago, we have seen the purchasing power of the U.S. dollar fall. 
Well, we're now seeing around the world currency changes taking place. Now, here on the program several weeks ago, I talked about the news story that had the country of El Salvador announcing that it was adopting the cryptocurrency of Bitcoin as legal tender in addition to the U.S. dollar. In fact, each citizen of the country of El Salvador was giving a digital wallet containing Bitcoin. There was an article published on TechRound, and I'll give you just a bit from that article, and I quote, El Salvador has made headlines in the past month, becoming the first country in the world to make Bitcoin a legal tender despite international warnings and skepticism about the cryptocurrency's volatility. In early September, the country's president announced that they had acquired about 550 Bitcoin tokens worth $26 million. Bitcoin will work as legal tender alongside the U.S. dollar, which has been the country's legal currency for the past two decades. El Salvador began debating the legislation about making Bitcoin a legal tender last year because it would spur investment across the country and uplift about 70% of its population without access to traditional banking services. Now, a couple comments I have about that article. One, the article talks about international warnings. Well, those international warnings, it's important to note, came largely from central bankers who have a vested interest in keeping Bitcoin and other private currencies at bay. They don't want competition for fiat currencies. Second, if you're a critical thinker, you have to ask yourself a question. Why, after 20 years, would the government of El Salvador decide to adopt a second currency as legal tender? And a second question is, why would the government elect a private currency? Well, admittedly, completely answering that question would require a deep dive into the politics of El Salvador. It's probably safe to say that offering the populace of El Salvador a U.S. alternative, a U.S. dollar alternative that may have the potential to appreciate in value, may be at least part of the motivation. Now, there hasn't been a lot of time that has passed—about a month or so—since El Salvador made that announcement, and early reports from El Salvador about how this is going are mixed. Yahoo News reported that about a third of the population of El Salvador are now using Bitcoin as currency via the digital wallets they were given. In fact, the president of El Salvador tweeted that 2.1 million Salvadorians, Salvadorans were actively using the wallet. Now, this wallet is called a Chivo cryptocurrency wallet. And the president said this, quote, Chivo is not a bank, but in less than three weeks, it has now... It now has more users than any bank in El Salvador. Now, the International Monetary Fund, which is like the central bank for central banks, uh, criticized the decision to move to Bitcoin as an official legal tender. And on the day that this announcement was made, Bitcoin fell. And on the program here a few weeks ago, I chatted with Rob Kirby about why that potentially happened. You may want to go back and listen to the interview uh, either on the Retirement Lifestyle uh, Advocates app, which you can find by going to the App Store 
and searching under your RLA, Y-O-U-R-R-L-A, all one word. Or you can visit the website at www.retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. So the country of El Salvador has begun to use Bitcoin as legal tender, but China is really taking a polar opposite approach, all out attacking private cryptocurrencies. The People's Bank of China, the Chinese central bank, recently banned the use and mining of all cryptocurrencies, and mining is the process by which cryptocurrencies are created. The BBC reports that the People's Bank of China banned use of all cryptocurrencies, mining of all cryptocurrencies, saying that using cryptocurrency seriously endangers the safety of people's assets. China sees cryptocurrency as a volatile speculative investment and an easy way to launder money. Now, this is really not surprising because China's looking to roll out a central bank-issued digital currency of their own. February is, and this is according to uh, Bloomberg, February looms as a red-letter month for the central bank digital currency landscape because Beijing is slated to roll out its digital yuan nationally as the 2022 summer or winter Olympics rather are held. Now, China has been running tests on the digital currency for a very long time with, again, mixed results. Now, the United States has said that developing a digital currency is a goal. It's, it's something that they want to do, and so has the European Central Bank. Here's the point, and here's why I talk about this. Moving ahead as world central banks work to develop digital currencies, and I'll talk about this in the next segment with Peter Schiff, it's important to keep in mind that at this point, all of these planned and proposed digital currencies will just be another type of fiat currency. And fiat currency, for the listeners out there that may not be familiar, are currencies that are legal tender because the government has decreed by fiat that they're legal tender. They're not, not backed by anything tangible. And at this point, there is not one currency in the world backed by anything tangible like silver or gold, and that has been the case since 1997 when the link between gold and the Swiss franc was abandoned. So what we have going on worldwide now essentially is a race to the bottom as far as currencies are concerned. And unless a digital currency is linked to something tangible like gold or like silver, they're just a different form of fiat currency. In fact, if you look at cryptocurrencies, the intrinsic value of a cryptocurrency is really no different than a fiat currency. The only assurance you have is that cryptocurrencies are limited in the amount of new currency that be, can, can be created. That certainly would not be the case with a central bank digital currency. If you get the book, Retirement Roadmap, there's some strategies to potentially protect you from the inflation that I believe lies ahead. If you're just joining me, the Retirement Roadmap book is available by visiting RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. The website, again, is RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. All you have to do is let me, where, let me know where to mail you your copy, and I'll be very glad to do so. 
Again, the website, RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. Stay tuned because after these words, I'll be chatting with Mr. Peter Schiff and getting his take on these very same topics. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you are listening to RLA Radio. My guest today is the founder of Euro-Pacific Asset Management, Euro-Pacific Gold. He is a prolific commentator on all things economic. Uh, Mr. Peter Schiff joins me. You can listen to his podcast at SchiffRadio.com, and you can learn more about his work at EPACFunds.com. And Peter, welcome back to the program. Oh, hi, Dennis. Thanks for uh, having me on again. So, Peter, big news this past week. It seems that there was some insider trading potentially going on at the Fed. Um, for our listeners maybe that aren't familiar with the story, could you just give a brief brief uh, recap and then uh, give me your take? Yeah, you know, I think that's the least of our concerns for how the Fed is damaging us, so, you know, whether or not they're trading stocks. But several of these uh, Fed FOMC members were buying and selling uh, you know, I don't even think it was individual stocks, maybe just index funds, um, municipal bonds, and, and things that maybe their Fed statements may have influenced the markets. And it's possible that some of their decisions on when to buy or when to switch from one asset to another may have been motivated by things that they knew they were going to say, which they also assumed would have some type of impact on the market. And so they made some opportune transactions, uh, which you know would be problematic if they were to be using that knowledge uh, for personal gain. Um, but you know they do far more damage to the economy by pursuing this reckless monetary policy. I mean the fact that they profit from it, you know a lot of people are profiting from their reckless monetary policy. Unfortunately, the vast majority of Americans continue to suffer as a result of, of what the Fed is doing, and they will suffer even more in the future, not only as a result of what it's going to keep doing, but what it's already done. You know, Peter, I had you on the program a couple of years ago, and at that time you said, look, you need to get out of the dollar. Inflation is coming. And at this point, you look like a profit. We certainly have inflation. So how do you see uh, this inflation monster developing moving ahead? You said it's going to get worse. Are we just seeing the beginning of it? Uh, or how do you see this playing out? Oh, yeah, it's going to get much, much worse. And, you know, initially the Fed was out there, you know, with this lie about how it's all transitory. We've got nothing to worry about. And then over time, they started changing the definition of transitory to temporary to really like, well, the, the, the inflation is permanent. It's just that the rate of increase is going to go back down. Right. So whatever big price gains we experience, well, those are going to stick. But in the future, we'll go back to just two percent a year increases. Uh, but now, I mean, even today you had Bullard come out and, and admit that, well, it doesn't look like we'll be going back down to 2% inflation anytime soon. So we just better get used to higher inflation, you know, being with us for uh, a long time. Right. So it's like an admission now that, you know, this inflation is going to be here. We have to deal with it. And this is a, a change from the, the, the statements that Powell was making that, well, you know, we're going to make sure inflation stays at 2% uh, 
And if it gets above 2%, we're going to use our tools to bring it back down. I think now Bullard is basically saying, we don't have any tools. And even if we had them, we wouldn't use them. So inflation is not going back down. And, and, and people should have figured this out on their own. But now you've got a, a Fed insider basically hitting you on the head with the fact that the Fed's not going to do anything. And so maybe at some point we're going to start to see gold and silver prices really go up because I think they haven't gone up that much recently because so many people incorrectly assumed that the Fed is going to put out the inflation fire before it really gets going. But when people start to realize that, no, they're not going to put out the fire, in fact, they're going to add kindling and, and gasoline to the fire to make sure it's even bigger, uh, then you know they're going to be rushing to buy as much gold and silver as they, they can get their hands on. So, Peter, it seems to me the Fed has two choices, right? They can continue with currency creation or they can stop. And it seems to me both of those outcomes are pretty ugly. Yeah. I mean, that's the same choice that a drug addict has, right? You could stop taking drugs and, and deal with the, you know, the, um, the, the consequences of withdrawal, or you can just take drugs forever until you die of an overdose, right? I mean, so <laughs> those are our choices. But, you know, like, like most addicts, they, you know, they, they end up yeah, uh, taking the overdose <laughs> because they, they just assume they'll quit later, but they just don't want to quit now. So, Peter, what ultimately does this mean for the U.S. dollar? I mean, does the dollar exist in the future, uh, in your view, or does it, uh, does it go away? I mean, how does this play out? Well, I think it will exist in a different form. Remember, the original form of the dollar was a weight of gold or silver. That was the definition. I mean, the dollar represented actual a weight, you know, and, and, and you had to have a certain amount of gold or silver. And then if you had the right quantity, that constituted a dollar. Um, and, and so obviously the definition of dollar changed over time because now we think of a dollar as just a piece of paper, you know, that has a picture of a dead president on it. But that's not what a dollar originally was, and that's not what it's even legally supposed to be now, but that's what it is. So I think the dollar will be around, uh, but I do think the form will change. I, I mean, I think it's going to look a lot more like the old dollar, uh, something of real value. But, you know, where we're going to go between now and then, it's hard to say. But I think that the value of the money that we have today that we call the dollar, Federal Reserve notes, I think most of that value is going to be lost. I don't know if it's all going to be lost. So, you know, if you have a million dollars, you know, you may not have nothing. But, you know, there's not that much difference. Let's say you have a million dollars and you can buy a pack of bubble gum with it. You know, that's not a lot, right? I mean, you know you know, left of a million dollars, but you know, that doesn't, you know, obviously it's not worthless if you can still buy a pack of gum. So Peter, I've interviewed uh, Rob Kirby, Alistair McLeod, and uh, they're in your camp that we're going to see inflation. In fact, they both made the point that hyperinflationary events tend to accelerate and culminate very quickly. I'd like your take on that. Well, historically that's been the case. Um, so I would imagine that this episode of hyperinflation, if that's where we end up, will probably be just as quick, if not even quicker, you know, because information moves around the world much faster today than it did, you know, you know, let's say during Weimar Republic, Germany. So I think once things start spinning out of control, they have the 
propensity to do it even faster. So I think when it happens, it's going to happen very quickly because it's, you know, it's, it's just a loss of confidence that just happens. And when enough people lose confidence in the dollar, then that, you know, creates a snowball effect as, as they try to get out. Because if there's nobody that wants in, the price just implodes. And as the price goes down, people who had confidence now lose confidence. And now they went out. And then more and more people want out. And as the dollar starts imploding, fewer and fewer people will want them. I mean, merchants will stop accepting them. You know, if you want to buy things, if I've got a store, I'm not going to sell you products in dollars if I have no confidence in the value of that dollar the following day or the following week because I have to take the money you pay me and I have to replenish my goods. I have to buy more inventory. I have to pay other expenses. And if I'm afraid that the money you give me isn't going to provide much value because it's going to lose purchasing power so rapidly, I'm just not going to accept payment in it. So, I mean, things fall apart very, very quickly. And, and, and I think when it starts, you know, there's no way to know. That's why I've been telling people for years. And obviously, I've been very, very early telling people, this is what's going to happen. And so be prepared for it now, because we don't know exactly when it's going to start. But you need to be prepared for it in advance. Otherwise, you know, you're going to get crushed by the stampede when you're trying to act last minute with everybody else. Well, my guest today is Mr. Peter Schiff. He is the founder of Euro-Pacific Asset Management and Euro-Pacific Gold. You can listen to his podcast at shiftradio.com. And Peter, uh, as we close this segment, we've got just a few minutes left. Um, what do you, how do you, what's your forecast for uh, stocks moving ahead? How do you see that playing out? Will they, will they rise due to inflation, or do you see this bubble about being ready to burst? Well, I think the bubble is bursting as we speak in certain types of stocks. You know, the, the stocks that I think are going to go down are going to be a lot of these momentum, overpriced, overhyped type stocks, you know, like the FANG stocks, the Facebooks, the Amazons, the, you know, the Netflixes, a lot of these stocks that everybody's just been piling into. I think those prices are going to come down, at least initially. Uh, I think that other stock prices are probably going to go up. I mean, oil stocks, for example. I mean, companies that make real things that actually pay real dividends and have real products and that have been trading at fair values to undervalued, people are going to be looking for a place to store their wealth as they're trying to get rid of those momentum stocks and overpriced currencies and bonds or other paper assets. And they want to get into real things to protect themselves from inflation. So you're going to see uh, prices of real things going up. Uh, but, I, you know, I think the asset class that really has the most to gain from this shift is going to be the mining stocks, the gold and silver mining stocks, because those, I think, are among the cheapest real assets out there. Well, my guest today is Mr. Peter Schiff, the founder of Euro-Pacific Asset Management and Euro-Pacific Gold. I will continue my conversation with Peter when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us.
I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you are listening to RLA Radio. My guest today is Mr. Peter Schiff, the founder of Euro-Pacific Asset Management and Euro-Pacific Gold. You can uh, check out his work at epacfunds.com and listen to his podcast at shiftradio.com. And uh, Peter, in the last segment, we were talking about the fact that, uh, you know, the, 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 the dollar is uh, certainly um, not buying what it did. That's probably an understatement. And uh, I'd like your comment on a story that broke a few weeks ago when the country of El Salvador decided now that Bitcoin would be legal tender along with the U.S. dollar. Is there anything we should be reading into that? Well, I think it's just another attempt by a lot of the Bitcoin whales to help manipulate the price of Bitcoin higher by suckering in El Salvador and to try to lend some type of legitimacy to Bitcoin as legal tender, as a medium of exchange, as a unit of account, as an alternative to the dollar or the euro by saying, hey, look, here's El Salvador. This is the first country to adopt Bitcoin. It's the beginning of a trend, right? Wait until the rest of the world, uh, you know, follows in El Salvador's footsteps. Like El Salvador is going to be this great example and the rest of the world is just going to follow El Salvador's lead. And all that is meant to try to get people to buy Bitcoin because obviously if all these bigger countries do what El Salvador did, well, the price of Bitcoin is going to be much higher. And so if you buy your Bitcoin now, you're going to get rich. And that's all the hype. And I think the reason that the, the big guys are hyping Bitcoin up so much is because they've got a lot of Bitcoin they want to get rid of. And so, but in order to sell, they need other people who are willing to buy. But they also have to be cognizant of a lot of other people who have Bitcoin that they don't want to sell because they want to sell theirs. They don't want to be in competition. So they have to create all this hype so that the holders, right, the people who bought Bitcoin a long time ago who have big profits, they have to make sure they don't get out. So they have to create a lot of greed so that these people are afraid to sell because they don't want to miss out on these spectacular profits. Meanwhile, the, the, the big money that got in a long time ago that has lots of Bitcoin, they're unloading as many of their tokens as they can in a way that doesn't wreck the market, right? They want to just slowly get out so that they can turn their you know, digital tokens into actual cash. So, Peter, what is your ultimate forecast for these private digital currencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum? Well, ultimately, they're going to zero. I mean, that's, that's their intrinsic value. I just don't know how long it's going to take to get there. It could take a while to go all the way to zero. But, you know, they can certainly lose 90, 95, 99% of their value and still not be at zero. But, you know, it'll feel like zero for the people who get in now. Yeah, for sure. So what do you think about what do you what do you think about these uh, the, the, these countries now moving to digital currencies? China recently, you know, pretty much outlawed anything having to do with a private uh, cryptocurrency or digital currency, stating they're going to be rolling their own out here this next year. Janet Yellen and Jerome Powell have both said that uh, a digital dollar is a priority. Uh, how do you see uh, government issued or or central bank issued digital currencies? evolving as time goes on. Yeah, I think they're going to be here, and I think it's not a good development. I mean, I think from a technological standpoint, it could make things more efficient. You know, there's no question about that. But the problem is you're empowering the government. You're giving the government a weapon to use against its citizens. You're giving them too much information about what we do in our daily lives. Because if you eliminate all forms of cash, 
and every transaction must be affected digitally, that means the government knows every single thing you buy and sell. And they could use that information in ways that may be very, uh, you know, destructive of our individual liberties, of our freedoms. And you always have to think not necessarily about the government we have today. Even if you think today's government is benevolent and they never would misuse this data, you don't know how a corrupt government of the future might use this data, assuming we don't already have a corrupt government. <laughs> um, so I don't like giving up that much privacy. Plus, I think it gives the government more power over our money because – you know, you you know they have it all. It's all on it's all on the computer chip. It's not like we can we can sock some of it away someplace that they don't know about. They got it all. And if they want to say if they want to you know have some kind of negative interest rate, it's very easy to just start taking the money away from you with a negative interest rate. They can they can put a time limit on the money. They can say, hey, you know, you got to go out and spend. You know, they always want to stimulate the economy. They can say, hey, you got to go spend like 10% of your money right now, and you have a week to do it. And if you don't spend it, we're taking it away from you. I mean, or they, you know, they can they can direct where it can go. Hey, you got to spend the money at Walmart. If you don't spend it there, you can't use it. I don't know. I mean, the government can have all kinds of power to reward certain companies, punish other companies. Oh, the money isn't good. If you want to, oh, you can't use it to buy guns, right? Hey, there's no more cash. This is the only money that you have. Oh, by the way, we, you can't use it to buy guns. You can't. I mean, so who knows, right? They 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 just have too much control over the citizens when you give them that kind of power. And I think that is what governments are attracted to. That's why they want digital currencies. They don't like, you know, the black market. They don't like all this cash. They don't know what's going on when, when people are buying and selling stuff with cash. You know, that they, a lot of those transactions escape taxation. How are you going to escape taxation if all your transactions are in digital money? The, you, you, you know, the, you, you, the government's going to know every, every sale you make. So, the government, you know, the government knows that they'll they'll be able to have better control over the population. And you might think, well, that's a good thing if they can get the tax dodgers. Well, you know, the tax dodgers help keep the government honest. You know, the, the, the if you make it really hard to avoid taxes, then your tax rates are going to go way up. One of the reasons that taxes aren't higher is because the government knows if they make taxes too high, more people will cheat. But if you make it impossible to cheat, well, then the sky's the limit on taxes. For sure. Well, Peter, you know when, yeah. when when you when you make when you lay out that all those potential scenarios, it just occurred to me that that's going to in and of itself create a black market, and that's got to be bullish for tangible assets like gold or silver. Wouldn't you agree? Well, yeah. I mean, if they if they if they outlaw currency, then what can you use as an alternative? You can use silver coins. Sure. I mean, you know, but then they, they, now maybe they have to outlaw that. But then the thing is, how do they know you you got it, right? They don't. They they can't. You know, they can't see the, your silver coins that you have. That you know that, that you know. Just like they can't see the currency. If you have hundred dollar bills and you're you know buying something, they they don't know what you're doing. Um, but they could take you know they can take those hundred dollar bills away by just saying, okay, everything is everything is digital now, and you know those paper bills are no longer legal tender. Like you can turn them in. Like what the government might say is, if you have a hundred dollar bill. You can turn it in, and they'll give you a digital hundred dollars. But of course, when you go to turn it in, you better you better have a good explanation as to where you got it. <laughs> so it's gonna be like, oh, you got a you got a big briefcase full of hundred dollar bills. How'd you happen to get come across those? <laughs> so a lot of people are not gonna want to turn them in. They're just gonna have to, you know, they're they're just gonna lose them. 
Well, we're chatting today with Peter Schiff. He is the founder of Euro-Pacific Asset Management and Euro-Pacific Gold. Uh, you can check out his work at epacfunds.com and listen to his podcast at shiftradio.com. Peter, um, what advice would you have for someone in this crazy economic environment who has money in a 401k, who aspires to a traditional stress-free retirement? Uh, wh- what would you say to that person? Well, look, if you want to retire in America today, you need to get out of U.S. dollar-based assets. No question in my mind that the dollar is going to be retiring rather than you because you can't retire on currency that doesn't have any purchasing power or that loses the vast majority of its purchasing power because retirement is based on the ability of the assets that you've accumulated over your lifetime providing you with an adequate income stream to replace what you used to earn when you still had a job. And so you have to have an income stream that you can retire on. Well, you're not going to have it. I mean, if inflation just drives prices through the roof, let's say prices go up tenfold. So everything that used to cost $10 cost $100. And if it used to cost 100 it cost 1000 And if you had you know, $5 million that you were retiring on, it's not going to feel like $5 million. It, 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 you know, it, it's going to feel like $500,000. Now, $500,000 may not be enough, right? But you needed $5 million. But you base that on a certain price structure that no longer exists. But what you would have to do now with that $5 million is turn it into other assets. That's what I'm doing with people at my asset management company. We're buying stocks around the world that pay dividends that will rise as the value of the dollar goes down so that your $5 million portfolio will turn into a $50 million portfolio, which will provide you with an adequate stream of income so that you can retire uh, you know, and live the lifestyle that you, that you were planning on. But your plans are going to go up in smoke if you don't make those adjustments beforehand because your, your, your uh, portfolio won't grow enough in value and its income won't go, grow enough to, to keep pace with an increase in the cost of living. So you, you got to do that by divesting yourself of U.S. dollars. I mean, you can even think of inflation as a tax, which is basically what it is. It's how the government taxes people when it doesn't want to do it honestly. It just prints a bunch of money and spends it into circulation. So the inflation tax is going to wipe out most Americans who are planning on retiring. The government is going to take your retirement money and spend it on all these social programs. Well, if you don't want to be taxed by inflation, you need to get out of what's being taxed, and that is U.S. dollars. And any investment asset that is denominated in U.S. dollars or pays a return in U.S. dollars, that's where the tax is applied. So if you get out of those assets, you avoid the tax. And avoiding the tax is the key to retirement. Well, my guest today has been Mr. Peter Schiff. Uh, You can learn more about his work at epacfunds.com, and I'd encourage you to check out his podcast, as I do frequently, at shiftradio.com. Peter, always a pleasure to catch up with you. appreciate your perspective, and I'd love to have you back down the road. Oh, sure. I'll I'll be on again. Just let me know. (laughs) Thanks for for having me out this time. Yeah, terrific. Well, we will return after these words.
I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. And thanks again to Mr. Peter Schiff for joining us on today's program. In this segment, I want to chat with you a bit about a couple of asset classes that are often ignored from my experience when it comes to doing planning. Often when you're looking to allocate assets in your 401k or your IRA in preparation for retirement or when you retire, traditional advice has you putting some of your assets in stocks and some of your assets in bonds. And traditional advice also has this rule of thumb that says, as you get older, you should have more assets in bonds. It's my opinion that this traditional advice may be about to fail many people that are retired and many people that aspire to a comfortable, stress-free retirement. And to that end, if you're just joining me, I'd like to invite you to get a different perspective, get a second opinion, if you will, by requesting a complimentary copy of my retirement roadmap book. The website is RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. If you let me know where to mail a copy of the book, I'll be glad to do that along with some bonus information. Again, the website is RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. So let's go back to these traditional asset classes. As we've talked about on past programs, stocks are extremely overvalued by almost any measure. The Buffett indicator, which takes the total value of stocks and divides by economic output of the United States, says that stocks are more overvalued than at any time in history. And if you look at the price-earnings ratio, you come to a similar conclusion. So stocks are highly valued. It's not to say they couldn't go higher, but when you take a look at investing, you always want to measure your risk and reward. And in my view, for many people approaching retirement, the risk may outweigh the reward depending on their own individual situation. And bonds, obviously, make money as interest rates drop, but they lose money as interest rates increase. So you have to ask yourself, in what direction do you believe the next big interest rate move will be? So here in this segment, in the time I have, I want to talk about a couple of asset classes that are often ignored. In fact, the first asset class I want to talk about is cash, and it's not often even considered an asset class. In fact, on Wall Street, there's a saying that cash is trash because it has no yield, there's no appreciation potential, and in an inflationary environment, cash loses purchasing power. Certainly, that last statement is true. But if asset prices fall in a deflationary environment, cash becomes king. Let's just go back for a moment and revisit what happened during the subprime mortgage market. Starting in 2006, the Case-Shiller Housing Index, which measures the price of housing, fell from 225 down to a low of 150. That's a decline of about 35%. Now let's play what if, and obviously this is a hypothetical gain, but what if you had sold your real estate at the 2006 peak and put the proceeds in cash? By 2010, that cash would have purchased 50% more real estate. See, in that example, cash performed extremely well. Now, the reason for this is that the break-even curve math is absolutely brutal. 
And the break-even curve math is simply this. Every percentage loss in a portfolio requires a larger percentage gain subsequent to the loss to get back to the break-even point. If you have a 35% loss in the value of your investments, you've got to make 50% just to get back to even. A 50% loss in the value of your asset requires a subsequent, subsequent gain rather of 100% to get back to even. If you have some cash as asset prices collapse, when those asset prices are lower, the same amount of cash buys more of that asset. We can examine the stock market crash from 2007 to 2009 to make the same point. The S&P 500 dropped by 53.6%. Again, let's play what if. What if you had converted your stocks to cash in 2007? If you had done that by 2009, you could buy more than twice the stock that you had in 2007. There are many examples in which cash can be king, and Wall Street's cash is trash, trash adage is totally wrong. Now, let's shift gears a minute and talk about another asset class, precious metals, and in particular, let me talk about gold. Now, gold has not changed over time, but as we've discussed and as we've demonstrated, the U.S. dollar has been greatly devalued, which makes it a poor measuring stick to use when valuing assets. Now, in 1971, the Dow was at about 600, and an ounce of gold at that time sold for $35. Fifty years later, the Dow is about, say, 33000 or so, and an ounce of gold is selling for just under $2,000. So let's do some math. If the Dow is at 600 in 1971 and gold was $35 an ounce, if we take the value of the Dow at 600 and divide by the price of gold per ounce at $35, we find the Dow was about 17 times the price of gold per ounce. Now let's do the same math for today. This 33,000 divided by 2,000 gets you to a number that is approximately the same. So when stocks are priced in gold versus U.S. dollars, they really haven't changed in value all that much. So in real terms, in terms of real money, stocks really haven't gained anything. You could do that same exercise with any other asset, and you could reach a similar conclusion. Pricing any asset in U.S. dollars will make the reported pricing higher on a nominal basis. See, if food prices go up because the dollar is devalued or lumber prices go up, as we've experienced this past year, because the dollar is devalued, stock prices also go up because the dollar has devalued. Rising prices doesn't mean greater value. Let's look at a truck. In 1971, a base model Chevy Silverado sold for $2,967. Fifty years later, the same base model Silverado sells for $31,590, and arguably, it's the same truck. You could even make the case that the 1971 truck had more intrinsic value because it contained more steel and more expensive metals. But for discussion's sake, let's assume it's the same truck. 
50 years later, you're paying 11 times more for the same truck. Is there 11 times more value in the new truck? Probably not. But if you price the Silverado in gold, you get a different picture. A 1971 Silverado would have set you back 85 ounces of gold. Today, a new Silverado would set you back only 18 ounces of gold. So in other words, you could buy four Silverados for the same amount of gold today as you would have paid for one back in 1971. My point is this. You cannot use the U.S. dollar as a measuring stick and get an accurate picture of value. The Retirement Roadmap book has you consider different asset classes, and it gives you strategies to consider to plug these asset classes into your own individual retirement plan. And I encourage you to check it out. The Retirement Roadmap book has the subtitle, How Many Aspiring Retirees Can Use the Revenue Sourcing Process to Achieve a Secure Tax-Free Retirement in Today's Economy. There are many tax law changes uh, over the past year. Uh, and proposed tax changes that may make looking at doing Roth conversions with some of your uh, traditional IRA uh, a lot of sense for some uh, aspiring retirees, and even if you're already retired. So again, to get a copy of the Retirement Roadmap book, visit the website RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. The website, again, RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. I'll be glad to send you a copy of the book absolutely free with no further obligation. There will also be some bonus materials that I'll be, get, be glad to include with the book that I think will be particularly useful uh, given where we are today. That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week. <laughs> 